You are on the line, live on ESPN, 106.7 in Auburn and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga. Online on Fox Sports, 983.com and ESPNAU.com. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you in the studio today. Noah Garner in Silicaga. He's doing a little business up there, so it's just me today. I appreciate everybody tuning in here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Again, my name is Jacob Goins. Appreciate everybody tuning in to the Monday edition of On the Line. If you want to call in and give me your opinion or your thoughts about anything going on in the sporting world, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you have to say. Let's get into some some sports and some basketball, whatever else you've got on your mind going on in the sporting world. Give me a call, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Again, it's just me this afternoon, Noah up in Sylacauga handling a few things. So it's just me on the show this afternoon. We've got a great two hours set for you at 2.30. We're going to have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports, and at 3.30, it'll be Jacob Hillman of the AU Sports Network, the Weagle 91.1 FM Sports Director, and the AU Jungle President. He's always got a big a big little description after him, his name, but he will be on at 3.30 right here on On the Line. Again, if you want to call in, give us your opinion about anything going on, we want to hear from you, 334-321-1390, or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Well, this weekend, college basketball was on everywhere. We talked about it on Friday. We previewed the the rest of the Sweet 16 that was going to be happening Friday afternoon and evening, and then the Elite Eight leading into Saturday and Sunday. Our Final Four, it's set. We have a Final Four that will happen in New Orleans this weekend. And I'm going to be honest, it is a blue blood heavy Final Four. You have Villanova taking on Kansas, and then North Carolina and Duke. It's unbelievable to think that that is our final four. It is blue blood heavy. Three of the winningest programs in college basketball history, Kansas, North Carolina, and Duke, are all in the same final four. Kansas, with their win over the weekend, they are now the winningest program in college basketball history. So they are there in the final four. And then, of course, the the biggest matchup in all of college basketball North Carolina and Duke. Everybody knows their historic rivalry. Everybody knows the great all-time matchups that we have seen between the Tar Heels and the Duke Blue Devils. And we know the the little bit of separation between these two teams when they match up, right? We know there's very few points that separate them. There's very few wins that separate these two teams. It is almost drawn right down the middle And it's one of those games, it's kind of like Auburn-Alabama in the Iron Bowl, right, on the football field. That's how Duke and North Carolina is on the hardwood. It doesn't matter how much better one of those teams is during that season than the other. All of that is thrown out, right? When those two teams meet, and no matter what the setting is, whether it's regular season, conference tournament, they've actually never played in the NCAA tournament, North Carolina and Duke, out of all their times they played, they've never played in the NCAA tournament. So that is historic in itself, right? 
But when these two teams meet, everything is thrown out. The numbers are thrown out. The records are thrown out because these two teams are going to play in a close game. And it's going to be phenomenal no matter where it is or what the stakes are. And of course, to end the season, Coach K's final game, because this is his final season. I'm sure everybody knows Coach K, legendary Coach K at Duke. This is his final season. And the Duke Blue Devils have taken him to the final four, which is historic in itself. But now he has a chance to win a national title in his very last season, something that most coaches don't get the chance to do. But as I was saying, at the end of the season, we know that North Carolina walked into Cameron Indoor Stadium and they took on the Duke Blue Devils in Coach K's final home game. And the Tar Heels spoiled it. They absolutely spoiled it. They went in there and they won that ball game. They beat Duke on their home floor, Coach K's final game at home, and North Carolina said, uh-uh. No, they said, we're winning this game. We don't care. And now we have the rematch. We have a rematch in the final four between an eight-seed North Carolina, a team that was struggling as of late going into that Duke game. They were struggling throughout the end of the season. They found a little mojo in that game. They went up against an extremely hot Virginia Tech team in the ACC tournament. Of course, that team went on to win the ACC tournament. So then North Carolina and their fans and the media, everybody was like, you know, where is this team going? What team is going to show up in the NCAA tournament? I think an eight seed was kind of low for this team. They're 28 and nine right now. Of course, they picked up some wins over the past two weeks, but I still think an eight seed was kind of low for North Carolina, but they said they didn't care and they went out of, they've beaten everybody since. And of course, on Friday, they beat UCLA in the Sweet 16. It was an eight seed North Carolina versus the four seed UCLA Bruins. And they went out there and won the ball game 73 to 66. And then yesterday, they had the 15 seed St. Peter's, right? They had the team, the Cinderella story, one of, if not the best Cinderella stories ever in the NCAA tournament in North Carolina. They handled business. They won by 20. We knew St. Peter's was going to hit that wall eventually because all of the Cinderella's do, right? They all, every year that we have a Cinderella, they make a big run and everybody's on them and everybody's excited and wants to see them win. But the reality is they always hit that wall and that was North Carolina. But my point is, North Carolina came into the tournament kind of wishy-washy, kind of 50-50, not sure which team you're going to get. And now here they are. They've ran through their East bracket, and they're in the Final Four with Hubert Davis, his very first season at the helm under North Carolina. Of course, Roy Williams retired, and now North Carolina has a new coach, and yet it's the same result. Here they are again in the Final Four with their historic matchup against Duke. And so we'll break down that some more as we go on through the show, and as we go on through the week, we'll give our predictions, especially when Noah comes back this week. We'll definitely give our predictions for the Final Four coming up on Saturday but some other games that happened on Friday I talked about St. Peter's the 15 seed they went up against the three-seeded Purdue and I'm going to be honest I like the St. Peter's team but I didn't think they were getting past Purdue me and Noah sat on this show on Friday with Lance during the first hour and Levi during the second hour and we all said there's no way that St. Peter's wins this game now Noah said he had a little bit of a of a gut feel and he said I don't know this could happen but when he when we all sat down and and thought about it we're like no way right 
No way St. Peter's wins this game to make it farther than any other team has ever made it in the NCAA tournament as a 15 seed. Well, they went out and they won. They won 67 to 64, and St. Peter's, their dream was alive. And then they, of course, they ran into the wall of North Carolina in the Elite Eight. But that's the side of the point. I think St. Peter's making, making the Elite Eight as a 15 seed, the first time a 15 seed has ever made it, I think that's incredible, right? That's an incredible accomplishment. And now their coach is reportedly taking a job at Seton Hall. That, that report came out an hour or two after their loss on Sunday in the Elite Eight. But don't take anything away from this St. Peter's team. They beat the three-seeded Purdue, Blue, or Purdue Boilermakers, a team that a lot of people had in their Final Four. In one of my brackets I did, I had Purdue in the Final Four, and one of them, they're a good ball club. But St. Peter's, one of the, if not the best Cinderella story to ever run through the NCAA tournament. So credit to those guys because they're lost in the Elite Eight. Yes, it, it, it hurts and they were upset about it, but they got to hang their head high, right? Because they did everything and more than anybody ever thought. And so credit to the St. Peter's Peacocks, right? What a, what a mascot. If Noah was here, he would confidently say he knows that they were the, or the Peacocks and he would say that he knew that before they even made the NCAA tournament. But again, credit to St. Peter's. They beat Purdue on Friday, then Providence and Kansas. It was back and forth for a while, but you felt that Kansas was going to pull away. They only won by five, but they did win the ball game, and now they are into the Final Four. That was their Sweet 16 matchup. Then they went on to win their Elite Eight matchup. We'll get to that in just a second. I already talked about North Carolina and UCLA in their game on Friday. Again, the eight seed North Carolina Tar Heels, they went on Friday, and they go and have a matchup on Sunday. We'll get to that in just a second. And then the one game that was not very attractive, right? Iowa State and Miami, an 11 seed and a 10 seed. And you look at this game and you say, well, one of these two teams is going to be in the Elite Eight. You're going to have a double-digit seeded team in the Elite Eight no matter what. And we talked about on Friday the difference in Miami and Iowa State and how Miami can score the ball and Iowa State can't. Well, that's what happened. Miami wins 70-56 to because Iowa State just simply couldn't score the basketball. And it's not that Miami is a super high-level defensive team. They have stepped it up in this tournament, the Hurricanes have, but they have played good defense throughout the tournament, but they're not an elite-level defense. So, you know, they, they did what they had to do. Iowa State just can't score. They just can't score the ball. And they scored 56 points. That's going to lose you in the NCAA tournament. And that's exactly what happened. So then you move on to Saturday, right? You move into Saturday, the first two games of the Elite Eight. It's Houston and Villanova. Houston's a team that a lot of people were not high on coming into the tournament. But then once they got into the tournament, they were like, wow, this team should not be a five seed. They are a heck of a lot better than a five seed, right? They have good offense, good defense. They're top 10, or they were. They were top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency all season long. No other team can say that in all of college basketball. This team can score and play defense. And this game was ugly because so can Villanova. They play that exact same brand of basketball. Villanova, they can go at any pace. If you want to run up and down the floor, cool. Villanova's ready to go. They are ready to run up and down, play in transition, turn you over, and try to put up 80 points. Or right or 
Villanova says, okay, you want to slow it down? You want to play defense? You want to use 20 to 23 seconds of the shot clock? That's fine too. We're, we're going to do that as well. And that's exactly what they did on Saturday against Houston. It was 50 to 44. That's a, I mean, that's a low scoring, horrible basketball game. The total was 126. They didn't even break 100. They didn't even break 100. They scored 94 total points. But again, that's what makes Villanova so good. And especially under Jay Wright, they've been doing that his entire career at Villanova. They don't care. They don't care what type of basketball you want to play because they can lock you down defensively and they have enough weapons on the offensive end, whether it's from the outside shooting, running point guard from Gillespie, or going inside to somebody like Dixon. They've got guys everywhere, and that's why Villanova has become such a high brand of basketball and has become so successful over the past, what, 10 years now at least? Something like that. So Villanova can do whatever you want to do, and that's what makes them so dangerous, and that's why they're back in the Final Four. They beat Houston 50-44 to on Saturday to advance to the Final Four. And then the other game, the one SEC team remaining, Arkansas. They had a tough battle. Okay, they did. They had a tough battle, four-seeded Arkansas and two-seeded Duke. This was a game we knew was going to be up and down, back and forth type of basketball because both teams like to score. And Arkansas, they did their best, but they were down by 12 at the half, 45 to 33. And they outscored Duke by three in the second half. But again, their, their shooting woes got to the best of them. They shot 42%, not great. They shot 30% from three, not bad. But Duke shot better. Duke shot 55% and 40%, and that's going to do it. And Arkansas actually won the turnover battle. They got out-rebounded by nine, which doesn't help, especially against a more, the more athletic team in Duke, right? And so North Carolina was the SEC's last hope to make a Final Four. They were the farthest team that made it out of the SEC. Everybody else had been eliminated, right? Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Kentucky, everybody else was out. They were gone. And Arkansas was the last man standing. And look, they when they played Duke, they understood, look, Coach K's last season, right? This team, this Duke team has a lot of motivation, a lot of energy coming into this game. And that's just how it went down. I mean, Arkansas had their chances, but you've really felt that Duke was going to win this game from start to finish. They did. Duke wins, and now they're in to the Final Four. And again, Coach K... He's an X's and O's guy. And Eric Musselman from Arkansas has, has established himself as one of, if not right now, the best coach in the SEC because of what he's doing at Arkansas. Let's just be real. Arkansas is not, has not been a place that players want to go and be elite basketball players and elite basketball school because Arkansas hasn't been that for a while. But Eric Musselman now at Arkansas has brought them to a national stage of Arkansas basketball is good and Arkansas is a place you can come and develop your game and become good and great go to the league and compete in the NCAA tournament and compete in the SEC because look at them they made it farther than any other SEC team in the entire NCAA tournament right so we've broken it down a couple of times on this show what is your current SEC coaching stance right who's the best coach in the sec you could rank on one to five if you want to 
however many you want to rank, it would be really hard to say right now, almost like a power ranking, right? It would be really hard to say that Eric Musselman is not the best coach in the SEC right now for what he's doing at Arkansas, what he's doing inside the SEC. They made it farther than any other SEC team in the NCAA tournament, but they do ultimately fall to Duke on Saturday. They lose 78-69, to and that sets up the the next day, so yesterday's games, right, the other two Elite Eight games. These were not as as sexy, if you will, of matchups that Saturday was. Saturday was your heavy-hitting teams matched up, at least, on Saturday. But yesterday, I'm going to be honest, kind of boring, right? Kind of boring when it came to results just because you had two blowouts. You had two 20-point or more games in the Elite Eight. That's not what you're looking for. That's not what the NCAA wants or March Madness, whatever, but that's just how the cards fell. It was Miami and Kansas first, a one and a 10 seed, right? Kansas is only getting better. They had their questions and their struggles coming into this NCAA tournament as well. People questioned whether they should have been a one seed. People questioned how far they could go in this bracket. Because let's remember, this Kansas and, and Miami team, this is where Auburn was. This was Auburn's bracket in the Midwest in that bottom right portion of your bracket. And people questioned whether Kansas should be number one, somebody else should have been number one, how far the Jayhawks could go just because of their struggles coming into the tournament. But so far, they've taken care of business, and they did just so on Sunday. That was yesterday in the Elite Eight of the Midwest, of the Midwest bracket. They, for, they faced that Miami team, the one that beat Auburn by double digits, right? And Miami came in on their offense. That's what they came into this tournament doing was shooting the basketball well, scoring the rock, and just outscoring people because their defense hasn't been great, but they stepped it up as well coming into the tournament. That's what good teams do, right? They step up their game when they come into the tournament. But when you break it down, the numbers are just atrocious for Miami. They shot 34% from the field. They shot it 55 times and only made 19. Again, that's good for 34.5%. That's not going to win you ball games. They shot 21 threes, and they only made three of them. They loved the three ball, and they made three of them on 21 attempts. They only made 70% of their free throws. They turned it over 14 times against a team in Kansas that's going to get out and run. They're going to turn you over, and they're going to go out and transition, and they're going to score the basketball because that's what they do. And Miami just couldn't – they couldn't ever get into a rhythm, right? They couldn't ever get into their offense, their rhythm. They had two guys in Magusty and Wong. Nobody else scored more than five points. Those guys had 18 and 15 respectively, but nobody else scored over five points. And once they went cold and once they got shut down, especially later in the second half, Kansas just showed their dominance. And Miami's 10-seeded run came to an end in the Elite Eight. Kansas is on to the Final Four out of the Midwest. We have one more game to break down. Again, it's the North Carolina-St. Peter's. We've talked about it. I want to preview now the Final Four that we now have matched up. Villanova, Kansas, and North Carolina, and Duke. We'll break that down on the other side of this break, you're listening to On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you in the studio today. 
It's the Monday edition of On the Line. If you have anything on your mind going on in the sporting world, give us a call here on the show, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. I want to hear from you, man. Give me a call. I want to talk to you, hear what you got to say about anything going on in the sporting world. I don't want to hear your calls about the Oscars because I did see it. I did see the fiasco that went down at the Oscars last night. It was crazy. Not sure what to think of it, right? It was kind of crazy. Will Smith coming out of nowhere, slapping Chris Rock, and then sitting back down, having some words. Look, it was wild, right? I don't even watch the Oscars, and Twitter was on fire last night. Twitter remains to be the best app on my phone when times like that, when stuff goes down in the world. But I don't want to hear about it because it happened That's not sports. If you want to call in, though, and give us anything going on in the sporting world, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, gymnastics, I don't care. Call in. Give me your opinion on anything going on in the sporting world. Again, the number is 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Just a few more minutes before we head to the 2.30 break, we'll have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the program to break down some Alabama athletics and talk about what's going on in Tuscaloosa. But before we do, I just talked about the remaining Sweet 16 games on Friday, the Elite Eight games we saw over the weekend. Friday definitely had the better matchups and the better games than yesterday. Again, yesterday, kind of of slow. You had two games that were blowouts, a 20-point win, and then what was it, like a 26, 28-point win? It was a 26-point win, Kansas over Miami, 76-50, and then North Carolina over St. Peter, 69 249 so those games weren't super attractive weren't super enjoyable to watch after really the first half but the final four is set right the final four is set two-seeded Villanova versus number one Kansas and then number eight North Carolina versus number two Duke you've got three major blue bloods historic blue bloods in this final four plus a team in Villanova that has really sprung on the last 10 to 15 years into college. I know they're, they have historic success, but really since Jay Wright has gotten there, they have just come on and exploded. They have a couple national championships, some more Final Fours. So these four teams are as historic as it gets when it comes to a Final Four. Both matchups, I think, are going to be fantastic. They're both on Saturday, 5 o'clock and 7.49, according to Yahoo Sports. Both on TBS. That's on Saturday Central Time down in New Orleans. I wish I could go. I really do. I wish I could go. I was planning on going if Auburn had made it, but they decided they wanted to go home early, and they did in the round of 32 against Miami. But still, what a legendary Final Four this is. I'm curious to see, and it may already be out, I may try to go check that during the, the next commercial break or while I'm sitting here, but the ticket prices to this Final Four are going to have to be insane with it being Kansas, Villanova, North Carolina, and Duke, and North Carolina and Duke playing each other in the very first game. The most historic rivalry in, in all of college basketball playing in the Final Four. It's it's The ticket prices have to be unbelievable, and because the ticket prices to coach k's final game at home against north carolina it was thousands upon thousands of dollars just to get into the door at cameron indoor so this has got to be on a whole new level i'm going to see if i can find it an all session ticket right now on StubHub for this is for both final four games 
and the national championship game. Let's see. Trying to get it to where with fees. Okay. Okay. That's not as bad as I thought. To get you in the door, 750 bucks right now. Not horrible. I really thought it would be more. It may get more once it gets closer. We still are five days or so out because the games are on Saturday. But, I mean, we are just so blessed as college basketball fans to have these two matchups, Villanova and Kansas. That's going to be, I'm, I'm going to say, high 60s, low 70s range of scoring, just thinking of it off the top of my head, but the two brands of basketball that those two teams are playing right now. The current spreads Kansas minus four and a half, so that means they're predicted to win by five or more. I'm not sure. I would almost take Villanova. I like both of these teams. I have Villanova in my final four and multiple brackets, Kansas in there in a couple. So, I mean, this is not a, a matchup that we didn't see coming. You know, this is a matchup that very easily could have happened, and here it is. It's happening, right? I'm not sure where to go on this. I'm going to need some more time to really break it down and think about who I'm going to pick in these final four. I would like to pick Villanova. I like the Big East. If anybody listens to this show on a, you know, regular basis you know my my big east fandom i love teams from the big east i think they play a different brand of basketball than anybody else in the country but the big 12 that kansas is from has been one of the best conferences in college basketball this year so that matchup to start the night out is fantastic and then the nightcap north carolina and duke it doesn't get more historic than this you cannot ask for a better matchup in the final four this season than what we have right now. North Carolina, eight-seeded, versus the two-seeded Duke Blue Devils. Coach K's final season, one last matchup. These two teams, as I mentioned before, these two teams have never met up in the NCAA tournament. As many times as they've played and as many times as they've been in the NCAA tournament together, they have never played in March Madness in the NCAA tournament. And so what a perfect first time for that to happen. Coach K's final year, North Carolina with a brand new head coach. They're meeting up in the final four for one last bout for Coach K and Duke and then Hubert Davis and North Carolina. This is a fantastic matchup. That spread is also Duke minus four and a half. I think Duke's the better team. I really do. I think Duke's the better team. I would like to pick the Blue Devils, but at the same time, like I said before, when this game comes around and this matchup is set, throw all the numbers, throw all the stats, throw all the records out of it. This thing is going to be a barn burner all the way down to the final minutes. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. You're listening to On the Line. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Monday edition of the show. Noah Gardner in Sylacauga today, so it is just me in the studio. But now at the 2.30 time slot, we have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. Jeremy, welcome in. What's going on, Jacob? How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. You doing all right? Yes, sir. Ready to talk, ready to talk anything you want to talk about today. Well, good deal. Well, let's start like we normally do. What's the news coming out of the Alabama football camp as spring practice going underway? I saw the news about the Thompson five-star Tony Mitchell, the recruit. He announced Alabama in his top five. So what do you know about that? And then just Alabama in general out of spring practice. Yeah, I think Tony Mitchell's still really open to wherever he goes in those top five. Obviously, um, a lot of the big names you expect, A&M and Georgia sitting there too. But Alabama's 
going to land two five-star corners out of this class, whether it's Tony Mitchell or the kid from Florida. So, um, you know, they, they like where they stand. They'd love to get all three because they do. I mean, you, you play sometimes four corners on the field at a time. You need a star. You need a guy that can be really physical. Sometimes a safety slides up in the box. And, you know, so Alabama's going to want that depth, at cornerback. But Tony Mitchell's a really good player. Um, Alabama has been – I mean, Thompson has been great for the University of Alabama over the last uh, couple years, especially in the last recruiting class. So, um, especially with uh, with Vegans and um, JT Alexander. So, they're, they're going to want to keep that hot in Thompson this year. But, you know, I think spring practice is going well. I mean, from what the guys are saying, Gibbs is the real deal. Ricks is the real deal. Everybody that transferred in is, at least right now, as advertised. And, you know, hearing Bryce Young, I guess, talk about um, Bill O'Brien and how it was really big for him to come back. I mean, maybe settle down a little bit of Alabama fans' concerns about what the offense is going to look like, um, what it's going to feel like, and if Bryce Young is comfortable with Bill O'Brien. And listen, he won a Heisman Trophy under Bill O'Brien, but if Bryce Young is truly comfortable with Bill O'Brien, Alabama fans it should be as well. But it's still make or break on the offensive line. Alabama should be really good on defense. They were really good last year, especially down the stretch until a couple guys got hurt at the end of the year, and you saw what happened against Georgia with the deep ball in the fourth quarter. But they're going to be really good on defense but it's going to start on the offensive line again this year. If Alabama can put the right people in the right spots, they're going to have a lot of success. Well, there's no doubt that Alabama's defense has always been their, you know, their, their marquee thing to go to. But let's go back to the offensive line. In your opinion, as of right now, how, how much improved will the offensive line be? Will it take another step back? What's your opinion as of right now? Um, I don't think it'll take a step back. I mean, did you watch? I mean, I know you did. This is kind of not a condescending question, but if you watched how bad they were, even against Cincinnati, who off the right side, they ran the ball for a lot of yards against Cincinnati, but you'd expect to do that just because you're more physically dominant. The second go around against Georgia, a team that stops the run, but the way Auburn did it, even in pass protection, was unacceptable. I don't care if it's on the road at Auburn or not. You're they they were last in conference in. Um, negative plays so they weren't I mean they were already as bad as they could get in conference play led the league in sacks allowed so I mean they're they have to get better but if you're Alabama if it's not going to be Brockermeyer and Latham surrounded by a couple freshmen you're you're trying to figure out who it's going to be because Neil is gone Chris Owens already wasn't very good um the the other guy Damian George was not good. Kendall Randolph wasn't. I know he got hurt in fall camp last year, and he was a potential target to start at right tackle. But throughout the year, he just never became the guy that you could put at right tackle. So you have even more holes to fill this year. And you bring in Elijah Pritchett and Tyler Booker. I wouldn't be surprised if those guys got a legitimate chance to um, to play. But if it's not Latham and Brockermeyer, um, you're going to be trying to maybe moving some guys around. Maybe Cohen at left tackle, right tackle, and seeing where anybody else fits in um, to that Alabama offensive line. But listen, that's why Eric Wolford was hired. Nick Saban was not pleased with with the job that was done on the offensive line last year. Um, you bring in an NFL head coach to kind of take that role, but they did not develop. They did not get any better. And you can make the argument that they got worse um, throughout the end of the year. And the key to beating Alabama was just a just sense of they can't, they will not block you. They will not communicate. They will not pick up who they need to pick up. And it's, sometimes it's just a chip on a guy to give Bryce Young time to throw or the running back to make a move to the left or right. And it never, it didn't happen consistently enough 
for that Alabama team. And um, so that that's still a point of concern, but that's why Wolford was hired. He was the best offensive line coach in the league last year, one of the most respected coaches overall in the Southeastern Conference last year. And it's a good thing to be Alabama because not everybody can pick and choose who they want on their staff like Nick Saban can. So he goes out and gets the best offensive line coach in the league, maybe outside of Matt Luke, and who is now no longer coaching at Georgia, and he plugs him in in Tuscaloosa. So the, you should expect a better offensive line, but um, there's going to be a lot of the same faces. So if they are better, that means the, that means Wolford really paid off. Talking to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. Jeremy, I know it's a, a, a generic question, but for this Alabama team specifically, still on the offensive line, because again, that is the issue that they have on offense, how does an improved offensive line help Bryce Young, who already has won uh, you know, at the highest level, has won a Heisman Trophy? What does the offensive line improvement, how does it help this Alabama offense specifically? I mean, you don't want to go Sam Darnold seeing ghosts here, but I mean, when guys are coming at you with free bull rushes, it makes your life really hard. And it, it is it shows you how good Bryce Young was to win a Heisman last year with an offensive line that could do nothing for him. I mean, the amount of plays where Alabama had to run with three wide receivers down the field because you had to leave a tight end in, you had to leave Brian Robinson in the block. So now, I mean, you have no time to throw, and your three receivers don't have any time to get open. So – if the offensive line is better, you can see more routes for running backs, which Alabama still ran a lot of routes with backs last year, especially um, before the two backs got hurt um, in the middle of the year. But, you know, you're if you have to leave more guys in the block, you don't have as many guys to throw to in, in your route tree. So expect more play for the tight end, expect more plays for the wide receivers, and expect more catches for running backs especially with Jameer Gibbs, that running back, who was one of the best receiving backs that probably maybe college football has seen in the last seven or eight years. So um, expect with an improved offensive line for Bryce Young to have more options, more time to hit those options, and for Bill O'Brien's playbook to really expand because if you can't block, you can't use your playbook. You can't get into the not the tricks, but the plays that take time to develop. And it's, it's, it's amazing how many deep balls Alabama was able to hit and I think that's a testament to the speed of Jamison Williams and John Mechie and, and Bryce Young just having the boys to stand in there and take as many hits as possible. But Bryce Young isn't a guy I don't think that you can run out there. Fortunate as we were last year that he didn't get hurt, he's not going to be a guy in 2020, what is it, 2022, that you want taking six or seven hits a game. You want him to get hit once or twice a game at the most and maybe one sack per game at the most. He was hit way too much last year for a small guy. Uh, plays really big, but you cannot have Bryce Young get hit that many times this year because the numbers on uh, how many times he's hit versus how many times he can get back up, or they're going to continue to decline. Talking to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports here on On the Line. Let's transition to a little bit of Alabama baseball before we let you get out of here. This team is 14-11 and 11 overall, 2-4 and four in the conference as we are now two SEC series into the SEC schedule. The Crimson Tide coming off a 1-2 and two weekend at Mississippi State. What did you see from that series and from this team overall as they are entering the third SEC series of the season? No, they listen, that's some good starting pitching, and they, they've done that this, in this series. Um, they can't close, and sometimes they can't get big at bats. The heck, they, they gave themselves on day two. They gave themselves a lead. I think it was day two. A lead in the ninth inning, and here they come back and give up a – Another walk-off hit. The middle of the Alabama order, I think, is good. I mean, Williamson's playing well. Denton's is still going to be able to hit. 
Diodati, still Owen Diodati. Um, but they need some more production um, from the bottom of the order. They have, uh, you know, one or two just errors and mishaps, sometimes in the middle of the infield. A couple times, um, I think it was uh, Friday, you know, just a, a simple what should have been a 4-6-3 double play ends up off the glove of Jarvis and it gets to the ground and they were lucky to get out of that inning, I think, without giving up any runs. But when you're playing good teams, and especially when, you, when you're in the SEC West, and your 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 opponents are Mississippi State, who just won a national title, and they're not as good as they were last year. Auburn's probably better than people think that they were going to be. Um, you still play Ole Miss. You got A and M's, who's a, who's a good team. LSU, like you can't afford to make some of these mistakes that Alabama baseball has made. But listen, we're still two weekends into conference play. They have time um, to get better. And it's just like basketball, this is baseball is one of those things. You heat up at the end of the year, you put yourself in a good position, you do very well uh, in the SEC tournament, and you, you get hot at the right time playing your best baseball at the end of the year. Um, you can see any team make a run. But Alabama, they, they, they need a little bit more timely hitting. They, they need a little more production from a couple different guys in the order, but they have to get better. they got to come out, pitching staff, close out games the bullpen's not very deep but when they have a, a, a two-run lead in the ninth inning you need to see that thing closed out um so i think those are all not maybe not fixable things for brad bohannon but you got to figure out a way to manage around those and they did it yesterday they they made sure that they got some insurance late in that game enough to seal the game away and not get swept on the road which i think would have been pretty deflating um, considering you had leads in every single game over the weekend, he gave up back-to-back walk-offs on Friday and Saturday. So if Alabama can just get some things back on track, get some good things to happen for them, um, they'll be in good shape. This is such a deep conference. Alabama and Auburn are both, you know, we don't live in a state with a lottery and fake scholarships and kind of limited on the amount of guys who can um, play play baseball for free, at least at a discount at your school. So you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, although it's kind of tough to do, and you, you got you have to be fundamentally sound and you got to be good at the plate, and you got to close out games. So that's, that's kind of the recipe for Alabama to get a little better. Well, Jeremy, this Alabama baseball team has South Alabama tomorrow and then at home against Texas A&M. But what stands out to me in the last eight games, there are two non-conference games against Southern Miss and UAB, the midweek games. They have dropped those two games. What does Alabama need to do to not only win against a good South Alabama team on Tuesday, but to get maybe a win or two against Texas A&M this weekend? Yeah, listen, you know, it, it's baseball. It happens. But you don't – listen, you're Alabama. You get you, – you, you're Brad Bohannon. You get paid not to lose to UAB in the middle of the week. And I know you're not throwing your best pitchers in the middle of the week. You're, you're trying to save them for, for your conference series. But you want to see Alabama play a little bit better midweek. And then you got Texas A&M coming to Tuscaloosa. Series starts Friday night. Um, and that's a good team. I mean, Auburn just took two out of three from Texas A&M, but that's a, that's a good baseball team. You get them at home. Alabama, I think you want a series win. You don't got to sweep them, but you'd love, you need to get two out of three in this series and kind of get your, kind of get off to a better start here. Because once, once you get three or four weekends deep, I mean, you're in the thick of conference play. You want to see Alabama come into this series, win the series, take at least two out of three, and then next week, I mean, you're on the road at Ole Miss. So, you know, not, that's probably not very favorable. Jeremy, we appreciate your time here on the line. We will talk to you next week. I hope you have a good day, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports breaking down some Alabama football and Alabama baseball.
Always good to have Jeremy here on the show. When we come back, we'll wrap up our number one. You're listening to On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Monday edition of the show. Noah Gardner in Sylacauga this afternoon, so he will not be present. So it is just me today on the Monday edition of On the Line. If you want to call in, give me your opinion about anything going on in the sporting world. We want to hear from you, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. We just had Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us between the 230 and 245 segment. He talked about some Alabama football news, some Alabama football recruiting, and Alabama baseball If you've missed any of our number one, just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. It'll be uploaded immediately following today's show at 4 o'clock, so make sure you search that. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Terry, welcome in. Hey, how you doing, Jake? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Doing well, doing well. I listened to the interview with Jeremy Law there, and I thought, how many times did did, um, Bryce Young save Alabama last year just with good mobility. Uh, quite that's a the few times. I have with Har- I'm sorry, Jacob. Uh, quite a few times. That's, that's the problem I have with Harson at Auburn right now on the fact that I think he's a complete yutz. Um, is he, don't wanna, he wants a quarterback who's kind of stationary. And that's just when you, when you talk about an offensive line, they're, he, they're he's going to get drilled. And, and I just don't – you know, the, the athleticism is so awesome in the defensive players in this league now. You're going to have to have a guy that can move in and save you a little bit. And he doesn't want that, and that's frustrating. Yeah, it's definitely a a different style of quarterback play, and it's something we have seen taken over in the last, what, 10 years probably, Terry, in college football. And and, and Brian Harson has, has, obviously, with the guys he has brought in, he's not as much about it. He wants the guy that can step in and just deliver the ball in the pocket. But we all know Auburn's offensive line struggles. We know that it's not – it has not been the best, and mobile quarterbacks have had more success over the past few seasons than the guys that just step in and deliver the football. So I agree on that point, but at the same time, that's just that's what he wants to run. And whether it works or not, we're going to find out very quick. But there's no doubt that Bryce Young at Alabama, I mean, he won the Heisman Trophy for a reason, right? He definitely won them some games due to his mobility and his his ability to move around and like you like to say you know Bo Nix won Auburn the LSU game based off of his mobility so I think it's okay to want a quarterback that can stand in and throw and deliver a good ball but I 100% agree with you Terry you've got to be able to move around and get out of the pocket and still deliver or run for a first down I totally agree with you yeah I think people misunderstand what I'm saying sometimes I'm not saying a quarterback who can run for 15 yards down the field like Nick Marshall did or, or 20 or whatever Nick Marshall did but a guy who can maneuver to his left and right to the point where he can extend a play. And that's what he's going to have to have because Auburn's offensive line, although they're coming back, they may be better, but they weren't very good last year. And and then the next year, 2023, they'll be terrible. There won't be nobody there. Yeah, so, and especially in the SEC, like you mentioned, with the athletes that play in the SEC on defense especially, you've got to be able to get out and extend plays. I 100% agree. You can't – the league is no longer standing in the pocket – and just deliver a, a good ball 15, 20 yards down the field. Those days in the SEC and in college football are gone, and I, I, I totally agree. So I understand what you're saying, Terry. I do. And, and for goodness sakes, you just had a 350-pound man run a 4-7-40 at the NFL Combine. <laughs> yeah, that's, so, that's ridiculous. You know, yeah, they go go figure, right? 
I just I just don't think he can coach at Auburn like he can at Boise. I'm sorry, I don't I don't bringing that down here is just not going to work. Yeah, well, we're going to find out extremely quick. But Take Terry, care. yep, we appreciate the call, Terry. So that was Terry here on the line. Look, when it comes to Brian Harson and what he's going to do at Auburn and his different coaching style, because it is different. It is a the more quote unquote pro style than what we have seen in the past, especially under Gus Malzahn here at Auburn. I mean. Look, we're going to find out, and we are going to find out right now, this season, and there's some people, Terry included, that doesn't think he will make it past this season. He very well might not. He very well might not. But we're going to find out exactly what his coaching style is and how effective it is, not just at Auburn, but in the SEC as a whole. But to Terry's point about having mobility at the quarterback position, just look around the league. Look around college football. Look around the NFL. That is the style of play that is happening through up-and-coming quarterbacks. It's not just can you stand in and deliver a ball 55, 60 yards down the field and put it on a guy's numbers, right? You've got to be able, when the pocket collapses, can you squeeze through a hole and get out and extend the play? And I like how Terry said it doesn't have to be a guy that can run for 15 or 20 yards. Just a guy that can get out of the pocket and extend the play get a pass downfield, pick up five or six yards, don't take the sack, right? That style of quarterback is definitely more popular nowadays, and it's more successful at times as well. I think for a quarterback, though, of course, you've got to have a balance because I don't want my quarterback to be a wide receiver that's recruited to be a quarterback, like, you know, at Kentucky at times where they just – have an athlete that plays quarterback, don't throw the ball a whole lot, run a triple option, that type of thing, because in the SEC, yes, it can work, but not for very long, right? But at the same time, you don't want a quarterback that doesn't move at all and just plants his feet and just, you know, just looking for somebody to get open, and if he can't throw it in four or five seconds, takes a sack. Because with Auburn's offensive line struggles, as they have been in the past and probably are still going to be, just seeing the the lack of recruiting we've seen on the offensive line so far it's going to be tough and a quarterback is going to have to be able to deliver the ball quickly and on target get out of the pocket and extend plays and let's be honest he's going to have to be able to take some hits because Auburn's going to give up some sacks this year next year and you know as we talked with Jeremy last segment about Alabama and their offensive line struggles Auburn's in the same boat and Jeremy was talking about Bryce Young is not a guy that needs to be taking seven or eight, nine hits a game because of his body style. Any quarterback in general should not be getting those types of hits. And so even with Bryce Young's play style, he still he can still get out of the pocket, extend the plays, but he's not a guy that can take a bunch of hits. And if you're Auburn with the, you know, the rumors slash reports, whatever, that Auburn's quarterbacks have kind of been banged up here and there this offseason – that's the last thing you want is your starting quarterback to get banged up and hurt in the first couple of weeks of the season because A, he can't extend the play or get out of the pocket, or B, because the offensive line hasn't improved any and he just gets sacked five or six times a game. And not just getting sacked, getting knocked down after he throws the ball or shoved out of bounds, you know, those types of things add up on a quarterback, especially on their body. You can't have that and not in the SEC. So, Terry, I agree with you, man. We're going to find out what Auburn and Brian Harson's coaching staff is going to do this season, especially with the quarterback play, because everybody knows that's where it starts to be successful. That's the end of hour number one here on the line. We'll be back for hour number two. Stay tuned.
You are on the line, live on ESPN, 106.7 in Auburn and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga. Online on Fox Sports, 983.com and ESPNAU.com. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Monday edition of the show. Noah Garner in Sylacauga, so he is not here with me today. So it's just me, our number two, officially underway here on the line. If you want to call in, give me your opinion about anything going on in the sporting world, Auburn sports, Alabama sports, pro sports, whatever you got on your mind in the sporting world. I want to hear from you. Call in 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. I want to hear from you. Let's start hour number two like we always do with making headlines. And so starting off, I threw this in here for for Trevor, my show producer today, our intern who normally answers our phones. He is on the phones, but he's my producer today. And for Noah, who is in Silicaga, it is a headline in the sporting world. I do not follow soccer, okay? I don't. I don't follow soccer, but the USA men's soccer team, they won last night. They beat Panama. Is that correct, Noah? Or not Noah. Trevor, they beat Panama last night. Okay. So they're on the verge of making the World Cup, which they missed it the last time. And so I didn't watch it, but I saw that they won, so I figured I would throw it in here because it is a big deal to a lot of people. I get that. It is. And the USA men's team, they beat Panama last night. They're on the verge of making the World Cup. So they are back to playing on the national stage, USA men's soccer again. I don't really follow it, but I know a ton of people do. So I did want to throw that in there because it is a big deal. It's a headline for for the sporting world. But moving on to the second headline, Sweet 16 wrapped up on Friday for the men's NCAA tournament in the Elite Eight. Went down on Saturday and Sunday for men's college basketball. We talked about it in hour number one, but again, Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight happening around college basketball this past weekend. We'll start with Friday's Sweet 16 games. It was the Cinderella story in St. Peter's taking down Purdue 15 versus 3. St. Peter's Peacocks, they take down Purdue 67 to 64 to move on to the Elite Eight. That was on Friday, the first game that day. Providence then took on Kansas, four versus one. The Jayhawks still pushing forward and shutting everybody up, basically, because there was a lot of questions about this Kansas Jayhawks team coming into this NCAA tournament. They have answered the bell, and they they went on Friday to advance into the Elite Eight. So we will break that down in just a second. North Carolina and UCLA, eight seed and the four seed, the Tar Heels, a questionable eight seed, no doubt. They had their struggles coming into the NCAA tournament, and they take care of business in what was a fantastic basketball game, 73-66. North Carolina defeats UCLA on Friday night, and then the the double-seeded matchup number 11 Iowa State number 10 Miami of course Miami took down our beloved Auburn Tigers in the round of 32 Trevor shaking his head me too man me too but Miami they beat Iowa State on Friday to advance to the Elite Eight so look if you're an Auburn fan yes we wanted to beat Miami we should have beaten Miami maybe but 
they did advance to the Elite Eight, right? So this team didn't just beat Auburn and then lose the next day, which, let me be clear, I said that they were going to beat USC in the first round. I said that, but I really thought that Auburn was going to win that game against Miami. They obviously did not, but Friday night, Miami beats Iowa State 70-56. to They just shut down Iowa State, a team that has struggled to score the basketball this season. They shut them down. They held them to 56 points. Iowa State is a team that, again, they just don't score a whole lot. They score 65 points a game on average. That's 307th in the country, and they scored nine below that on Friday night. So Miami moves on to the Elite Eight. That was on Friday night. Then... Then we have the Elite Eight matchups. You had two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. The games on Saturday were definitely better than the games on Sunday. Better matchups, just better overall games. The reason for that is the games on Sunday, they had the the lower seeds playing in those two games. Sunday, you had a 10 and a 15 seed playing in the Elite Eight. That's not exactly what you're looking for. That's not what you would expect but it is March, and anything can happen in the NCAA tournament, right? But on Saturday's games alone, Houston, the five seed, a questionable five seed, should have probably been higher the way they played to end the season and the way they played in this NCAA tournament. But they, nevertheless, they were a five seed, 32-6 and six on the year. Okay, they took on the two-seeded Villanova Wildcats, a team that... I am really high on I have really liked not just through the regular season but even coming into this NCAA tournament I really liked Villanova again if you know if you know me and you know this show I like the Big East when it comes to college basketball I'm not an actual fan of any of those schools I just like to watch their brand of basketball because they all play elite offense and elite defense it's up and down back and forth or they're gonna slow you down and we'll play a slower pace of basketball. And that's exactly what Villanova does. And that's exactly what they did on Saturday against a Houston team that can score the basketball fairly well. They, The Cougars, out of the, the weaker American conference, right, they score 75 points a game, this Houston team does. On average, this season, they scored 75 points a game. They scored 44 on Saturday. 44 that's 31 points less than what their average is 31 point differential between their season average for Houston and what they scored on Saturday now there's two sides to this right one is Houston did not shoot the ball well at all they shot 17 of 57 which is good for 29.8 percent so you can round up and say 30 percent right Houston shot 30% from the field. Here's the big one. One for 20 from the three-point line. One for 20. That's good for 5%, folks. Houston, a team, again, that scores 75 points a game. They shot 30% from the field, 5% from the three, 64% from the, three, from the free throw line. They did turn it over 10 times, but so did Villanova. So part of it is Houston struggling on the offensive end. But the other side of it is Villanova's defense and their brand of basketball. I talked about it in hour number one, how Villanova, they play two brands of basketball. They can either speed you up and they'll run up and down the floor with you and they'll try to score 80, 85 points or, or 
they'll slow down and they'll say, okay, let's play a 50 to 44 ball game and let's try to win this thing out and grind it out possession by possession. And that's exactly what Villanova did against Houston. It was a battle of the Cats, the Wildcats and the Cougars, but Villanova, they they end up winning 50 to 44. And when you look at Villanova, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well either. They shot 29% from the field, so they actually shot worse than Houston did. They did knock down four more three-pointers, which you could say was the difference, and 15 to 15 from the free throw line, good for 100%. Those two things you could probably say were the difference, free throws and the three-pointers for Villanova against Houston. But again, they win 50 to 44 in what was a very low-scoring defensive lot of missed shot battle between Villanova and Houston but Villanova is on to the final four and then the second game of Saturday Arkansas and Duke right Arkansas the four seed Duke the two seed out of the west and everybody knew that Arkansas they had a tough battle they have a Duke they had a Duke team with a lot of momentum they had a lot to play for they're playing for coach K in his final season this Duke team has gotten better every game of this tournament People had their concerns and questions about this Duke team, right? People were concerned with, well, they have some close losses and some not-so-good-looking losses on their schedule. They also lost in the ACC tournament. What team was going to show up, right? This was the same question that teams have had for Kansas and Duke and Baylor and all these top seeds in Auburn, all of these top one or two and even three seeds in this tournament. But this Duke team that showed up on Saturday night to play Arkansas – They were the real deal. This is the team that could compete for a national championship. They beat Arkansas 78-69. to And this team, this Duke team just has so much talent. They have so much talent. They've got a top three pick in Bancaro. He is, he's a lock for top three. He could go one overall, especially with this run that Duke is on. This may put him over Jabari in the top spot for in the draft in the NBA draft I'm not sure what they're going to do I think it depends on what team gets it what team what they're looking for but there's no doubt that Paolo Bancaro is a top three draft pick in the NBA and Duke making a run into the tournament into the final four only will propel him and go make him go higher but Duke they they beat Arkansas 78 to 69 they shoot 50 almost 55 percent from the field does Duke 40 percent from three it's a team that doesn't shoot a lot of threes they only shot 10 of them, but they made four of them. And when you do that, you're deadly. And they shot 18 free throws. They made 16 of them, good for 89%. They did turn the ball over 15 times. And I, I looked for Arkansas to maybe take advantage of that a little bit more because this Arkansas team likes to score, right? They scored 69 on the game, but this is a team that scores 76 on the season. So. This team likes to get out and run. They like to shoot the ball. They like to score. So I looked for them to take a little bit more advantage of 15 turnovers from Duke. But Arkansas turned it over 11 times themselves. And when you're looking for the upset in the NCAA tournament, you've got to force turnovers and not turn the ball over yourself. So it was only a four turnover differential. If Arkansas could have had seven or eight turnovers, which is, yes, it's hard to do against a team like Duke. But if Arkansas could have only had seven or eight turnovers easier said than done on this side of it I get it but if that was the case they really could have taken advantage of that differential maybe made this a closer game and come down to the wire but Duke ends up pulling away 78 to 69 Arkansas 
the farthest that any SEC team went in this tournament. They made it all the way to the Elite Eight. And again, I talked about it in hour number one. Eric Musselman of Arkansas, the head coach, he has propelled himself and possibly solidified himself as the number one coach in the SEC right now. Right now. Think of it as a power ranking, right? Think of it as a power ranking. You could say Musselman is the best coach in the SEC right now with what he's done at Arkansas, what they are doing right now, how they outlasted every other SEC team in the tournament, the way he has made Arkansas successful and and a threat, not just in the SEC, but in the entire country. I mean, you it he's top three. 100% right now is Musselman from SEC coaches on a power ranking stance. Uh, If you have an opinion on that, I'd love to hear from you. We've talked about it before, but again, if if you think different or if you agree, I'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Arkansas does lose to Duke, though. 78-69. Those were the better games of the Elite Eight. I will go ahead and say that yesterday's slate was not as exciting. Again, it was... Two of the lower seeds in the tournament, you had 10-seeded Miami taking on number one Kansas, and then the Cinderella story for the, for the ages, the 15-seed St. Peter's Peacocks taking on the 8-seeded North Carolina Tar Heels. Both games were decided by 20-plus. North Carolina beat St. Peter's 69-49 to to take a 20-point win, and Kansas beat Miami 76-50. to Miami has, carried, has used their offense to carry them through this tournament, and it fell apart on them. They and you when it comes to a team like this in the tournament that makes a run using their offense, and you could say Miami made a run. I mean, they went all the way to the lead eight as a 10 seed, right? It was considered a run. But teams that have offensive power, but not a ton of defensive power, you see this type of game from them more likely than not before they go on and win a national title. They didn't shoot horrible but it wasn't good either 34 percent from the field for Miami this is where it killed them three of 21 from the three-point line that's good for 14 percent and they missed a few free throws but it didn't matter Kansas it was a decent game at the half right it was what was the score at halftime Miami was up right Miami was winning at the half 35 to 29 and everybody was thinking is this the Kansas team that we were concerned about coming into this tournament Is Miami going to do what they've done to every team in their path like they did to Auburn back in the round of 32? Are they going to take down another top-seeded team in their bracket? But then here's the big one. In the second half, Kansas outscored Miami 47-15 to in the second half. That's just unbelievable. That is just so – that's such a big gap in just a 20-minute time span – 47 to 15 in the second half. Kansas wins 76 to 50. Miami just fell apart. And Kansas on the defensive end, they gave up 35 in the first half to 15 in the second half. That's a 20-point differential. Their defense, and when you locked it, when you watched them, they were just locked in on defense. They bought in on defense. That's where they knew it had to start for them to come back and win that ball game. And they did. They turned on the Jets when it came to the defensive end of the floor. They locked Miami down. They extended their defense. Miami couldn't do anything. And they were having to take shots late in the shot clock, contested shots, contested threes. They weren't making them. And Kansas is good enough offensively to where when their defense plays like it did yesterday, their offense can carry them through some ball games. 
And that's exactly what happened. This Kansas was a completely different team in the second half than they were in the first half. And let me say this. If the Kansas team that played in the second half yesterday against Miami shows up in the Final Four in a potential national championship game, they're going to be extremely hard to beat. Now, they're matched up against a Villanova squad that plays similar ball to them, right? They play a similar brand of basketball as Kansas, Villanova and Kansas. They play similar. So it's going to be fantastic. But Kansas turned it on in the second half against Miami. They win 76-250. And then the second game, I talked about it quite a bit in the first hour just because of the significance of North Carolina winning this basketball game. But credit to St. Peter's, right? St. Peter's, the 15-seeded Peacocks from the East region of the bracket, they shocked everybody. They just kept winning, right? They kept winning. They beat Purdue in the Sweet 16. They're in the Elite Eight. You're playing a North Carolina team, but they're an eight-seed North Carolina team. So St. Peter's and everybody else really thought they have a chance to actually do this and go on and and make it to the Final Four. They already made history. They had made it farther than any other 15 seed in the entire history of the NCAA tournament. So that had already been established. They had already made history. They had done their thing, but now they were trying to make more history. And what you see a lot of times from Cinderella's, and this was a true Cinderella team, a 15 seed all the way to the sweet, to not just the Sweet 16, but the Elite Eight, a true Cinderella story was and is, you see this, just about every time a team like this makes a run, it, it, it their their energy runs out. Their luck runs out. I, I'm not going to say luck 100% because this team earned every win that they had and they were playing the best basketball over the last week and a half in this tournament. So it wasn't, it wasn't even really luck, but the Cinderella story finally came to an end and they ran into an extremely good and hot North Carolina team, 69-49. to And now... Our final four is set, folks, and I cannot tell you how excited I am for this final four. It's two-seeded Villanova, one-seed Kansas in game number one, and then the historic matchup, eight-seeded North Carolina, number two Duke, Coach K's final season, his final final four, and he goes up against his biggest rival, North Carolina. They've never met in the NCAA tournament. This is their very first time Duke and North Carolina meeting in the NCAA tournament. It's going to be a blast. I think both of these games will be fantastic. I think whichever teams make it to the national championship game, whether it's Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, it doesn't matter. Whoever makes it to the national championship game, that's going to be a fantastic game as well. That'll be on Monday, a week from tonight. Uh, I believe that'll be on TBS as well. The final four games are on TBS, but These final four games are just unbelievable. Three out of these four are considered historical blue bloods, right? And when you look at it, when you combine all of their final fours, I'm looking at an article from ESPN today, and Duke has 17 final four appearances. Kansas has 16 final four appearances. North Carolina with 21 Final Four appearances, and Villanova with seven Final Four appearances. That's unbelievable when you look at a group of four teams to make a Final Four. These are historic programs across college basketball. And for a basketball purist and fan like myself and part of the media and just any basketball fan or sports fan in general, you should be so excited about this. This is not a bad thing for college basketball that it's major blue bloods in the final four. 
I get it can be annoying. You're like, great, here we go again. Duke and North Carolina and Kansas, really? Villanova, really? Like, who cares? This is awesome for college basketball because these are historic matchups. This is a historic Final Four. I promise you it is. We get Duke and North Carolina in the Final Four for Coach K's final season one more time. One more time, the greatest rivalry in all of college basketball, the best game of the year, and we get it again in the Final Four. Anybody, and I've seen this take a few times already, you can't tell me that this is bad for college basketball. I get people want to see different teams. Of course, I wanted to see Auburn in it, right? I would love for Auburn to be playing in the Final Four, be playing Villanova, I'd be worried, but I would love Auburn to be in the Final Four right now. But these matchups are not bad for college basketball. This is a fantastic Final Four. You should look forward to watching these games on Saturday. Look forward to the national championship game next week because all of these games will be close. I don't see any blowouts here. I really don't. It could be. But I don't see any blowouts. I see fantastic basketball for 40 minutes or more in both of these games plus the national championship game. It's down in New Orleans. I looked at tickets. It's like $750 to get into the door for all three games. I assume that will go up as the days go on leading up to the Final Four. So if you're thinking about going, you may want to buy now because Duke, North Carolina being in that Final Four and then Coach K, if he makes it to the national championship game with a chance to end his career with a national title at Duke, another one at Duke, the prices are going to skyrocket. But what a trip that would be. What a Final Four it would be to visit and see it in person. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little Auburn baseball. You're listening to On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Monday edition of the show. Noah Gardner in Sylacauga, so he is he's off of the show today, but he is working, I think, is what he says. We'll see. I don't know. He says he's working up there, but it is just me today in the station here for On the Line. We have just a few minutes before we head to the 3.30 break. We'll have Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, Wego 91.1 FM Sports Director, and the AU Jungle President. He will be on with us at 3.30, so make sure you stick around for that. He'll give us some insight of what's going on with Auburn baseball and Auburn softball as he is with the AU Sports Network. He gets some broadcasting over there for them. But just a few more minutes before we head to the 3.30 break, I've been talking about the Final Four that is set for men's college basketball. And look, I talked about it right before we went to break. Anybody that is saying that this Final Four is bad for college basketball, I respectfully disagree. I haven't seen that take a lot. But when you look at the coaches that are in this Final Four, three of them are Hall of Fame coaches. And the other one is a brand-new head coach. It's his first time ever coaching as a head coach at North Carolina. But he's taking over a Hall of Fame program, right? So you have Bill Self in Kansas, who with their win in the Elite Eight over the weekend became the winningest team in college basketball history. They have the most wins ever as a program in college basketball. They passed Kentucky over the weekend. You have Coach K. Everybody knows Coach K. Everybody knows his legacy. It's his final year. Duke is making a run during his final season, right? You've got Jay Wright at Villanova, who has two national championships in the last five years. 
last six years, technically, I guess, 2016 and 2018. He's got two national championships in the last six seasons. He's pushing for his third in six years. That's unbelievable. He will be in the Hall of Fame. And then Hubert Davis taking over at North Carolina for Roy Williams, who is a Hall of Fame coach. He's been at every game. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. He's been in the stands. He's been at the games for North Carolina cheering him on. I love that. I love seeing that that Roy Williams is still supporting this North Carolina program. Not that I didn't think he would, but it is cool to see him with the team as they make their run through March. This Final Four, and this will be the last time I probably talk about it today, but it's just legendary. I can't get over how how lucky and how blessed we are to be able to see this Final Four this season. It's it's historic. That's all I can say. It is historic. So if you want to call in, give us anything on your mind, uh, it'll be after the 3.30 break again. We're going to have Jacob Hillman on in just a few minutes once we come back from this break. But after that, if you want to call in, give us anything on your mind going on in the sporting world, I want to hear from you. 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. You can call in now. We'll put you on hold or you can wait until after we get done with Jacob Hillman in just a few minutes. But I do want to hear from you. We've had a few calls today, so I appreciate that. But again, before we go to the break, this Final Four, this March Madness has been historic. It's been crazy. It's been unbelievable. It's been all of those words that we that we use every year for the tournament right but take it in because we're down to three games left we've played so many games from the first round second round sweet 16 elite eight we're here we're at the final four this is where all roads lead right all roads lead to the final four down in new orleans and we're here so embrace it take it all in i know we still have this week to go but it's still fresh on our minds from the Sweet 16 on Thursday, Friday, and the Elite Eight on Saturday and Sunday. And again, I can't stress enough how this, how historic this Final Four is. Enjoy it. Make sure you watch it. Take it all in. Because no matter who wins these games, we're going to have a national champion that will go down in history. And let's be honest, everybody deep down, unless you really hate Duke, is everybody cheering for Duke a little bit? Maybe just a little. You might not be. I'm not fully, but kind of for the storybook ending, right? For Coach K and Duke to go out on top. For Coach K to win a national title and go out on top. Not that I'm 100% cheering for it, but would I be mad if it happened? Eh, maybe. Maybe not. But how incredible would that be, right? Coach K to go out. He says it's my final season. Take it or leave it and his team goes all the way and wins a national championship. It won't be easy because they've got to play North Carolina and then the winner of Villanova and Kansas. But it's historic. That's all I can say. The Final Four this season, more than ever, I think, is so historic with such top-tier programs, some of the most winningest programs in all of college basketball, three Hall of Fame coaches, plus a new head coach taking over a Hall of Fame program. Take it all in because it's going to be awesome. You're listening to On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Monday edition of the show. Just me today, Noah's in Silicaga, so I've been holding down the fort 
today here on the Monday edition of On the Line. If you've missed any of the first hour and a half of the show, just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. It'll be uploaded immediately following the show at 4 o'clock. Just search On the Line, again, wherever you get your podcast. But now, another guest with us here on the 3.30 time slot, Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, Wego 91.1 FM Sports Director, and the AU Jungle President. Jacob, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. As always, Jacob, it was it was an interesting weekend where there wasn't a lot going on on Auburn's campus. There was some equestrian and women's tennis going on, but no baseball, no softball. They were on the road, and obviously no men's basketball. So I, I, I'm I would I don't know if I'm re-energized or or just just doing nothing now. <laughs> Did you feel like you were out of place and didn't know what to do this weekend? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I was sitting in my apartment watching baseball and softball, made some visits to Equestrian, but like I I I I was confused. I was not traveling or doing anything, just in my apartment hanging out. Yeah, it's it's um quiet times on the planes at times and it, it is upsetting, <laughs> but I do want to talk to you about the sporting events that were happening for Auburn, maybe not necessarily here in Auburn, but Auburn competing around the country. Of course, Equestrian did win their SEC championship. Is this the fourth or fifth time in a row now that they've won that? I believe it's the fourth. Uh, since 2018, when they lost, they've won every single one. Unbelievable. That's awesome. So let's talk about Auburn baseball first, okay? They went to Texas A&M to take on the Aggies this past weekend, and they won the game on Friday, 6-5 to five in 10 innings. They lost on Saturday, four to five in 11 innings and in what was a heartbreaker and then they get the series win yesterday afternoon 13 to nine in college station break it down for me man what'd you see this weekend from auburn on the baseball diamond yeah it was a wild weekend that's what i'll say at first uh, another thing is i thought the pitching was it, it was fine i would say it's almost starting to improve where you're going to get to that spot that you want to be at where obviously there's been a lot of runs scored this weekend especially on sunday but that, that happens on Sundays in the SEC once you've exhausted a lot of your best arms on Friday and Saturday. As far as the bats go, can continue to impress. The timely hitting is what is so impressive. I think a majority of the runs this weekend came with, with two outs. I think at one point it was 15 to the 18, and then Auburn went on to score a few more runs later in the in game three. So that that's so impressive to me is that this team is coming through in the clutch. And I don't even think your best hitter had his best weekend. I don't think Sonny Deshera really – uh, did his best work after Friday evening, and that's that's encouraging that guys were stepping up. Nate LaRue didn't have a hit on the weekend, and he had five runs batted in on Sunday. So the timely hitting, guys stepping up, that's you see on the offensive side, and you're seeing you're seeing spots shine through with the pitching. So Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, Wiggle 91.1 FM Sports Director, and the AU Jungle President, Auburn goes to Texas A&M. They get the 2-1 series victory. They have Jacksonville State at home for one game tomorrow night, and then they're back on the road in Baton Rouge this weekend to take on LSU in a three-game series starting on Thursday. What does Auburn need to do, not only to pick up the win against JSU in a non-con game, but to go on the road and try to get another series win in Baton Rouge this weekend? Yeah, I'll start with tomorrow night, and that Jacksonville State game is going to be a chance to get a lot of those arms that – Maybe maybe didn't pitch as well this past weekend and get them starting to work through some things. Another thing uh, is that you hope to get healthier. Parker Carlson and and, uh, and Joseph Gonzalez, you hope to have them back for the weekend as looking ahead past Jacksonville State. But 
You want to continue doing things offensively and maybe build some guys up that, 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 that have struggled a little bit tomorrow night. When you get to Baton Rouge, like, first of all, hope that Joseph Gonzalez is healthy. Of course, Hayden Mullins is going to be still – he's recovering still uh, from the line drive he took after he started solidly on Friday night. And, of course, an unfortunate event right there. And you hope that he's back because nothing too serious with his injuries, but you might be precaution with him. Uh, so you hope that you're as healthy as possible. And to get the win at LSU, it, it, it's really going to take that offense because continue the timely hitting. The pitching is not going to immediately be there, but you want to continue to improve. Like I said, you do that, and you can go down to Baton Rouge and get a series win. Texas A&M won in Baton Rouge two weekends ago, and you just beat that Texas A&M team on the road. Transit of property obviously says Auburn should win it, but that's not how college baseball works. You still got to go in there and perform. Well, Jacob, over the next five games for this Auburn baseball team, they have one game at home, which is tomorrow night against JSU at Plainsman Park. Then the next three, as you were just talking about, in Baton Rouge against LSU. And then their midweek game next week is against UAB. And we could talk about that a little bit next week, too. But I want to ask you, this is a tough stretch coming off of a three-game series on the road, one game at home, and then back out for another three-game series. How do you adjust to that? How do you keep up with that if you're the baseball team for Auburn right now with this tough stretch traveling a lot? Well, I think it's a great test for the team because as you get further into SEC play, it's only going to get more difficult. As we look at the series coming up, you're, you're hosting Vanderbilt, you're going to Mississippi State, so on, so on. I don't have to keep going. You know how good the SEC is. And I really think that playing these in-state schools, Jacksonville State tomorrow at home, then you go to LSU for a series, and then you go to Birmingham to play against UAB. Those are huge matchups that are really not, I wouldn't say telling of how the team does, but it's a very good um, a benchmark almost. You want to perform in these midweek games. How you will perform on the weekend, as far as the bats, of course, you're throwing different guys uh, during those midweeks. But it's so important, especially with, these, especially with these in-state rivals that play you to their hardest every single time you play them, that you come through with a win. You look back to last Tuesday against South Alabama. Auburn went down six nothing in Montgomery and came back and won thirteen to twelve. Yeah, it doesn't look great because that score is ugly, but it shows the grit. It shows the fight. It shows that this team really fights no matter what the game is, and that there are ways for them to fight into games. They came back against Texas A and M twice on Friday and Sunday, so it's really a, it's really a team that's shown a lot of fight and grit. Uh, now, it would be great if they could go and beat Jacksonville State without having to come back tomorrow, and same with a few games in Baton Rouge, but I- I'm seeing things that are positives for this baseball team as you move forward. It's just got to continue to improve. It's as simple as that. Talking to Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, Weagle 91.1 FM Sports Director and the AU Jungle President. We've been talking about Auburn baseball. Let's transition into Auburn softball, one of the hottest teams not just in the SEC, but in the country coming into this weekend. They they went on the road, right? They went on the road to Kentucky where they dropped two of three in a tough series. couple heartbreaking losses for this Auburn Tigers softball team. Break it down for me, man. What happened in Lexington this weekend? Yeah, well, first of all, fr- Friday night uh, was just not Auburn's night. You get run rule, you lose by eight, 11 to three in six innings. It's just not your night. You got to bounce back, and they did. They did a great job on Saturday of really uh, staying in the game, staying in the series, and evening up. And that continued all the way into Sunday's game. 
Auburn took a 3 nothing lead with home runs from Bree Ellis and Jesse Blaine. Bree Ellis hitting two of them, the freshman. Blaine's a freshman as well. So it continues to show the power and the offensive uh, explosiveness that this team brings to the table. Now, here's the thing. You wish that those three solo home runs had at least someone on base because you lose on the walk-off on Sunday to lose the series to Kentucky. And this Kentucky team is a good one. Top, top ten in the nation in some rankings. And uh, Abernathy was just a dominant this week. Shelby Lowe, Matty Pence, they pinched well. But uh, it was just one of those things where the best player on that team was up to the plate with the chance to win, and she stepped up when she needed to. So you, you can't – you really got to start to spark more hits together for this team. Now, of course, it was in tough conditions as well. Temperatures weren't above 45 the entire weekend. So it's good they went in there, got a win, uh, and you had a chance to win the series. But you really wish Auburn had been able to finish that off, especially when you had a two-run lead going into the bottom half of the last inning. It's almost the complete opposite story for Auburn softball than it is for Auburn baseball yeah. right now. Baseball, yeah. they're just on the road day after day, series after series. For softball, coming home, they have Alabama State on Wednesday at J.B. Moore Field. Then they host the Florida Gators for a three-game series this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday again at J.B. Moore Field. And then next week, their midweek game is at home against Georgia State. So that's five straight games at home for Auburn softball. What is a realistic expectation for this team in those five games at home, Jacob? Well, a few weeks ago, I would have been, I would have been telling you that just getting one game against Florida is good. But the way Florida's performed, I think that this pitching, they, I think their first three SEC losses, they scored zero runs in them. That shows me that this pitching staff, Matty Pence, Shelby Lowe, KK Dismuth, uh, uh, Sam Yarbrough, they can go in, they can they can play with this Florida lineup and really show how good they are. And of course, we know what the offense is made of and how good they can be. So, you know, I really think that you want to go four and one over these next five games. That that's got to be the goal: win the series against Florida and obviously win the midweek games. And if if the offense is really good, maybe you're looking at a sweep opportunity. That that, that that's looking really positive but I think going to win the series against against Florida is 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 very realistic at this point you got to bounce back uh Wednesday night though first uh, and bounce back from a tough loss on Sunday so that's what I'm looking at another thing is just uh, I didn't mention it in the in the first question was the errors that have been popping up for for the for the field and I really think that that's another critical part the lineup has been changed around since that first game against South Carolina game one loss where there were so many errors and it worked for a little bit, but then it popped up again yesterday uh, in the series finale. Five errors as a team. Clean that up, and I think this team really starts to shine through. Well, you talked about some of the changes that were made, and then they continue to make the changes. In your opinion, before we let you get out of here, if you know, you're at the helm. What changes are you making due to the fielding errors you're seeing from Auburn softball right now? Well, I'll, I'll say I think right now you keep it the same because after you made the initial change, it had – it had improved. Rose Roach got the start at shortstop. You slid Nelia Prasa over to third base. Now, here's an issue. is Denver Bryant went down with an injury over the weekend, and she was unable to play in that series finale. So you, you put Sydney Cox back out there at second base. She started the season at third base, but as I said, things have been shifted around. So now you're kind of adjusting, and everyone's moved around. I think it's just going to take a game or two to really get settled in, and hopefully you get Bryant back sooner rather than later as she's been so good, uh, obviously, at the, at the plate and just solid in the field. I really think that you're done with the adjustments, but you have options now. 
that 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 that's the good thing is that you know these players can play at these different positions. Someone gets uncomfortable, you make the switch. So I like where it's at right now. Just going to take a game after Bryant's injury to really settle in where everyone likes to be. Talking to Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, Wigo 91.1 FM Sports Director and the AU Jungle President. One more quick question, and I'll let you get out of here. Jacob, did you see the Oscars fiasco last night? Goodness gracious, I did. I did. <laughs> Great. What was your thought on that, and then I'll let you go. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it was interesting. Of course, there's the whole debate. Is it staged? Was that real? Look real to me. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you saw all the uh, the unedited versions from international TV where you can see how visibly upset Will Smith was, but I don't know. It's just, I think, I don't think either of them really were in the right. I don't think Will Smith should have gone up there on stage on national TV and slapped him. I don't really think Chris Rock should have made a joke like that on national TV, but that, that, that's, that's show business for you. So yeah, no it, doubt. it is what it is. No doubt. And I, I hope that they can make amends and, go about their ways because I don't think that there's any ill will towards each other uh, between Chris and Will. I agree. It had Twitter up in flames last night. Jacob, we appreciate your time today. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you. Yeah, y'all follow me on Twitter at Jacob Hillman AU and of course keep up with the jungle. We're still rocking baseball and softball games so keep up with the content at AU Jungle. Good deal. Well, Jacob, we appreciate your time. I'll talk to you next week, man. Yeah, I'll talk to you then. Thanks for having me on. That was Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, Wigo 91.1 FM Sports Director and the AU Jungle President. He's definitely got the biggest title of our guest that we have on this show. Always appreciate his time, his insight on Auburn baseball, Auburn softball, and now a little bit of insight on the Oscars as well. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up the Monday edition of On the Line. You're listening to On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins wrapping up the Monday edition of the show. If you've missed any of the show today, just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. I'll upload it as soon as we go off the air at 4 o'clock. But make sure you stay tuned. It'll be Bill Cameron and Dan Peck for the drive from 4 to 6 right here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But again, if you missed any of the show today, just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. The phone line's still open for a few more minutes right here before we get out of here and wrap up the Monday edition. Give me a call, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. A little bit of NFL news going on before we get out of here. Uh, The draft, the 2024 draft, will be in Detroit in 2024 they're also going to get the hard knock series over the summer the detroit lions uh that's been a pretty famous series it's been the raiders they've done it uh so that that was announced today as well that the hard knocks will be in detroit that you know they go behind the scenes and do a a really good in-depth uh documentary of you know what happens during an nfl offseason during summer practice coaching players all of that type of thing it's it's really really good so if you've never seen a hard knocks go and watch them and they will be in detroit over the summer and then they also announced that the 2024 nfl draft will also be in detroit so 
Another big thing is the overtime rules. We've had three or four teams come to the league now. I know the Titans and the Colts, I believe, have been two of the teams that have come and made made a push for overtime changes. Uh, there's been again, there's been three or four teams that have made the they've made the proposal to the NFL to change the rule because let's be honest, the overtime rules in the NFL are broken. It is broken. It has shown that it's been broken over the last three or four seasons. And now we have teams proposing a change. And the common theme is that both teams possess the football. That's the biggest thing, right? In the NFL overtime, that's the, mo- the biggest broken rule in all, of, in all of sports, really, is in NFL overtime, everybody knows, it's based on a coin flip. It's based on a coin flip. The team that wins the coin toss, you can decide if you want to take the football or give it away. Nobody ever gives it away because... If you score a touchdown on your first possession, ball game's over. The other team does not get a chance to touch the ball whatsoever. And we've had this debate before, especially this season, where it affected playoffs this season and how it has been affecting playoffs over the past few years. But now teams have come forward and they've said, look, this has got to change. We're tired of it. And it's crazy when it's sometimes it's teams that have been affected, but other times it's teams that haven't been affected by it as well. And... Again, some of these teams have some different variations of what they want changed specifically, but the biggest thing they want changed is that both teams get the chance to possess the football in overtime because that's what is fair. And I understand, look, I grew up in Ohio, right? The saying goes, the fair is in August. I get that. But when it comes down to the NFL, when it comes to playoff football, the fact that you can go to overtime and only one team can touch the football and the other team can't, that's ridiculous. I don't care. It's absolutely ridiculous. Trevor is saying six minute overtime. So yeah, possibly or play it as a whole quarter, you know, something like that. I hundred percent, I could see that happening. I don't care how they do it. I really don't. I don't care if they, if they put six minutes on it or if they play a whole 15 minute quarter winner at the end of the quarter wins, both teams have got to be able to get the ball. That is, I mean, obviously I think I think almost everybody would agree with that. If anybody doesn't, I want to hear your take. I'm not saying you're you're wrong, but I do want to hear the other side of it. Is there a reason that you would want to stick with this version of the overtime versus going to something else where both teams would get possession? Maybe there's an argument for it, but if teams from within the league are coming together four and five at a time and wanting to make this push and coming to the NFL and saying, we want this rule changed, maybe there, there might be a problem right there might be a problem and at the end of the day there is a problem both teams have to be able to touch the football in overtime because we've seen it too many times where in in overtime in the playoffs a team has not had a chance to control their own destiny it's literally based on a coin flip and that's just I just don't I don't see how that's right I don't see it as fair it's not I don't like it I don't like how it's how it's done the rule is broken and I hope that the that the the push of NFL teams doing this to get this rule changed is successful. Let's head to the phone lines right before we get out of here. 334-321-1390. Gordon on line one. Welcome in. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, I'll, how are you? I'll be real quick. Good. Thanks. Uh, I'm waiting for Will Smith and Chris Rock to have to like take the 100 paces and turn around and shoot each other because I guess that's how 200 years ago you go up and slap somebody. <laughs> that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, but, have a little um, duel. Yeah. Yeah, but the uh, overtime thing, like, I always wonder if, like, it's just a television thing because they don't want 11 overtimes or whatever uh, 
so they can get to the next NFL game. So, I, you know, I just wonder how much that plays into it. But y'all have a good afternoon. I appreciate the call, Gordon. Yeah, appreciate the call. That's an interesting point, the TV side of it. I understand not wanting a bunch of overtimes back to back to back. We've seen college football make that adjustment after the Texas A&M LSU game went to seven or eight overtimes. They made their adjustments, which we can, that's a whole different conversation of college football overtime rules. But that's an interesting point that Gordon brings up. The TV aspect of it, I haven't really thought about it that way. If I, if I sit here and think about it, I don't think the NFL is going to complain if more football is played because, let's be honest, they get more commercials, more ads if overtime is extended. But I don't think they want three and four overtimes like you see in the college game. They don't want that. Um, but no, when you go to the when you look at the TV side of it again, I think the NFL would not complain with more commercials because that's more revenue, more eyes on that. But that very well could be a reason that they don't want to change the overtime rule. But even if you make it a 15-minute quarter, right, but both teams and, – and, and look at it this way. If you do a 15-minute quarter, you can't guarantee that one team gets the ball, but how many times do you see one team possess the football for 15 minutes in the, in the NFL? Never happens, right? So that would guarantee that both teams get a touch at the football and put 15 minutes on. After that, winner is the winner, right? That is, then that brings in time management, play calling, coaching – decision making all of that that would be really interesting but Gordon we appreciate the call that's an interesting point but to answer your question I think the NFL is not going to be mad about having more commercials but they don't want four five and six overtime which we saw college try to fix that problem as well but that's going to do it for the Monday edition of on the line if you missed any of it just search on the line wherever you get your podcast I'll be back tomorrow Noah will be back as well stay safe we'll talk to you later